as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. We head now to the man who is the Texas economist with a brain. Very wrinkly, the size of the state of Texas itself. Dr. Ray Perryman from other, the Perryman other, Group joining us now. Other economists don't have brains. That, that's what you mean, right? They have smooth brains. That's, that's Dr. Right. Perryman has a big, wrinkly brain. Cool. All right. That explains that article I read. Uh, the article wrote. today in question is a real neat one. I was nerding out over this one. Population Dynamics Texas Style. Now you go far you go as far back as 2001 when the population was 21.3 million and you start breaking it down into where everybody is essentially living in the state where did you get the idea for this Oh, I mean, I mean, we think about these things all the time. You know, there's been a long trend of, of greater concentration in urban areas and that sort of thing. And we just decided to uh, uh, to take a look at it and see see what had happened in the last 20 years or so, because we've seen the growth of the suburbs. If you go to any of the major cities, you know, they keep expanding out further and further all the time. And, and the yeah. metropolitan area is taking up more and more of the population. And we just decided to uh, to take a look at that and see what the numbers showed us. So I guess with that, with that being said, what do the numbers show us? What, yeah. what numbers are they, and uh, what do the numbers tell us? <laughs> oh, oh, you want you want details? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Well, ba- basically, what they're showing is both in the past and what we're projecting for the future is that we're going to see a continuing concentration of more and more of the people and the jobs of the state in our metropolitan areas, and less and less in our rural areas. Now, there are a number of, of implications of that, obviously. Uh, we have some very important things that happen in our rural areas, a lot of agriculture, a lot of minerals, uh, you know, food, fiber, energy, those things that are very important. But the populations mm-hmm. in those areas tend to be getting older. That is, people are aging and newer people are not, and young people are not staying there. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, to some extent more remote, although we can fix some of that with things like broadband and things of that nature. But how to make sure they have the infrastructure they need and, and the support they need to keep doing the essential things they do, I think is one of the challenges we're going to face here in the state. Davis Rankin, your question for I, Dr. I a, Ray Perryman. This is a serious question. It doesn't. I know it sounds fanciful, but there, there's a company in Brownsville, last we heard, that's developing vertical takeoff and landing crafts. They've relocated there. Now, I don't know how far away that is. I don't know if, how much that you know, but if they actually brought one to market that wasn't a that was a, uh, affordable, wouldn't that change the dynamic or not? Well, it certainly could. I've, I've worked, uh, I've, I've done a lot of work over the years on the, uh, on the Osprey the, the, and, and okay. it has not yeah. been commercialized yet, but that's the, the military aircraft that can basically uh, take off and land like a helicopter and fly like an airplane. It's, yeah. it's almost, yeah. almost that technology, uh, but, but not, not in the same way as, as the firm in, in Brownsville, but very similar. And and I've always thought that had some commercial viability, but its primary uh, gain is to help us get back and forth between major cities because you still have to have the yeah. the volume to support it. But but it could have some dynamics. There's other things happening with 5G that's made possible a lot of intelligent infrastructure ideas, ways to use our communications, our transportation, and our electricity all together in ways to improve efficiencies uh, and, and obviously it's enabled a lot of broadband connectivity, that sort of thing, distributed workforce. Unfortunately, most of that is probably going to end up helping make the, the or not unfortunately, but it's going to make the, the urban areas more efficient and better able to cope with the, with the populations coming in there. But by the same token, you're probably not going to have the scale that it takes financially to deploy it in the rural areas. Uh, now, again, broadband, I think with the state is making some efforts to get broadband 
advance in a significant way in throughout the state. And I think that's very important because that opens up things like teleeducation, telemedicine, those kinds of things that, that can really help the, the, the rural areas uh, remain uh, viable going forward. There's, there's apparently, you know, there's talk about if you could, uh, the people who could live anywhere, do their jobs anywhere, where would they want to live? Well, they, they, they want first class technology and infrastructure, et cetera, but there's no appetite to live, like to live in, in um, Buffalo Gap or um, I'm trying to think of some <laughs> Coleman. Yeah. I mean, there's just no appetite for those folks to live out there, is there? No. Yeah, not not a huge amount. Now, strangely enough, uh, many of the most affluent people in the country are now buying ranches in the West, big ranches in the West, and they are trying to build themselves a lifestyle in those areas. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't accomplish the thing of the day-to-day folks who, again, provide the food and fiber and energy and that sort of thing uh, that that we need from the rural areas. But there is actually quite a demand for ranch land uh, in, in the country right now by wealthier folks who are looking for a place to escape from. But you know, the, when you when you see the world by taking your helicopter from your ranch to your office, uh, you know that that's that's not the the kind of thing that's really going to solve some of the problems on the ground uh, in in the rural areas. But uh, but I think you know there is an advantage to livability in some rural areas, but that is often offset by you know the the obvious things: major sports teams, great restaurants, yeah. those kinds of things you see in urban areas. But also, rural areas are increasingly struggling just to provide adequate health care. And just provide, uh, yes. you know, uh, uh, school systems that are adequate. Those kinds of things that to attract young families to an area, you really have to have those things. Yeah, and I, the, I uh, guess the dynamics of some uh, a person who buys a ranch because they want a ranch is not trying to make a living off of a ranch. I, is my, I, That's you, exactly you, right. I've been told yeah. if you have to pay for the land, you cannot afford to make. You can't make a living off of it. Okay, uh, our, our guest. Our guest is uh, Dr. Ray Perryman from the Perryman Group, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. We're talking about population dynamics, and there's been a movement um, away from the rural areas for many of the reasons we've mentioned, internet and healthcare access and education, all these things. How, how far out do you project this pattern is going to continue? Well, it's hard to see it being reversed. Uh, you know, I, I think yeah. obviously, I think the rate at which the the change happens will diminish some because we do. There's a certain level of population that you have to have to be viable in some of these critical areas where uh, of food and, and and fiber and and energy we talked about. By the way, uh, Davis, based on your last comment, uh, a very good friend of mine, very wise guy who's a rancher uh, here in, in Texas, actually in his nineties. Uh, and and he often says that that he can be in the cattle business when oil prices and gas prices are high because he, right. has, a, he has a lot of land. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. And, and, uh, we we forget he, the king ranch was going broke. Prices are high. And he sells it when they're low. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oil and gas are perfect for cattle raising. So that's right. All right, that's right. They, can, uh, they can subsidize it. <laughs> and there's, I guess, I guess the next question is: Are the are the bigger cities? equipped for for this and have we looked at have we looked at uh other states and and seen hasn't there been kind of an exodus in some states away from the big cities to at at the very least you know suburban areas well there's a big exit we're sitting here in texas there's a big movement out to the suburban areas for example in the last census dallas county actually lost population but the Dallas area gained a huge amount of population because of all the growth that takes place in those surrounding counties. Now there's been a move like that and, and some of the new so-called intelligent infrastructure that is taking place, the distributed workforce, the people, the idea that everybody's not going to come into the central city, those things can actually make some of these areas more livable, alleviate some of the traffic congestion, but they take massive investments in technology uh, to make them happen. It's only your largest cities that are going to have the scale to potentially do that sort of thing. Uh, but but we're, we've been seeing the, the some people call it urban sprawl, but we've been seeing the, the spreading out and expanding of these areas. If you look at the fastest growing counties in the country, almost every time you see one of those lists, Collin County is on it, Denton County is on it, yeah. the Dallas area, Fort Bend County and Montgomery County in, in the Houston area are on it. Maybe, maybe uh, uh, Williamson County, maybe Comal County, uh, and, and some of those that are close to Austin and San Antonio, uh, Hayes County sometimes makes the list. I mean, it's always these these counties immediately adjacent to uh, the the central metropolitan county that's, that are always seem to be driving a lot of the growth. It, it, the um, 
I don't know if this is pertinent or not. And if it's not, you don't just, just tell me to move along. But like in Collin County, that used to be super Republican. And now it's uh, there's a, a growing mix of non-white, although I have nothing against white people, doctor. But, uh, th- there's a growing mix of non-Anglo-Saxon or Scots-Irish folks in these in these counties, I don't know how many black people live in Collin County, but it's much more diverse. Um, is that true everywhere or, or the, there, around these cities? There, there's still there, there's still generally uh, uh, tends to, most of those areas do tend to still be to a large to a, a substantial extent uh, sort of right wing or Republican enclaves, as you point out. But it is changing. There is a more diversity that's coming in. I mean, we're at a point now where the majority. And it's not official yet, but I can tell you the lines across the majority of the population in Texas is Hispanic right now. And yeah, not no, Anglo. Yeah. And, and, that's, nice and, that's going, and, and that's going to continue. So just, by, so just by its very nature, that's going to lead to you know, greater, greater diversity, greater dispersion of people yeah, in, into different areas. And, and you know, a lot, uh, you know, frankly, a lot of the original reason some of those suburbs began to settle was a so-called white flight back during the desegregation era in the 60s and 70s. And that's largely been dissipated now. And you're seeing a much more diverse population come into these, into these areas. On the whole, they still tend to be, uh, in, in, in some cases, relatively conservative areas. I think that's probably because they're relatively affluent areas. And, and affluent areas tend to be more conservative. But, uh, but, they're, but, they're, but they're, you are seeing some of that begin to change as, as the population dynamics shift. Well, yeah, my, my, I think my point about, uh, like in Irving, where my sister lives, went to the Walmart, lots of people from the subcontinent, lots of people apparently from India, not a problem, uh, but they, my, my belief is that these are mostly educated folks. We're not getting the really super poor from other countries. So they come in with a certain level of expectations about how they want to live their lives and they want more. That, they that's want more. exactly right. That's that, yeah. That's exactly right. You're seeing a lot of of the of the legal immigration that takes place in this country right now from from the subcontinent, from the Middle East, from other places, and Houston far more than Dallas area, but but all but the entire state really. Those tend to be more fluent people. I mean, if you stop and look at it uh, right now, people don't realize this. Twenty five percent of our doctors in this state are immigrants. Most oh, yeah. of those are from those areas. Twenty three percent of our of our scientists and engineers. Are, uh, are are immigrants. Most of those are from Asia or those areas. Uh, about twenty four percent of our other healthcare workers uh, are that way. I mean, we we are we we a lot of our skilled workforce. People forget this and lose sight of it. But a lot of our skilled workforce comes from those areas, and obviously uh, those occupations are, are, are high paying occupations, and 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 those folks tend to be uh, tend to be relatively affluent. Wow. Thank you. Hey, hey thanks for, for stopping by and breaking that down for us. That's Dr. Ray Perriman with the Perriman Group joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. If you have a business, if you are a property owner or a business owner of a commercial property within some parts of the city of McAllen, and we'll tell you which part specifically in a minute, uh, you're going to want to listen to this. As part of Refresh 5050, go to refresh5050.com. And Rebecca Olaguabel, the Retail and Business uh, Development Director for the City of McAllen, joins us now to tell us a little bit about that. So tell us about the program, Rebecca. Welcome to the show. Hi, yeah, thank you. Hey, Zach. Hi, Davis. Um, hey, hey. Uh, this is Rebecca. Hey, how are you? Hey. <laughs> We're fine. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about, well, the, tell us about the program. Of course. 
So I am excited about Refresh 5050. This is a grant program that we launched back in 2019, and it was specifically designed for uh, business owners here in McAllen um, because the city wanted to partner with them to refresh the exterior of their storefronts. And so it's really exciting because we partner with business, with businesses here in McAllen to help them upgrade their paint, their lighting, their doors, landscaping, anything that's on the exterior of their building. Um, City of McAllen partners with them to do that. Huh. Well, why? Go ahead, Davis. Why should I spend my money? Why can't the... Davis. What's the no? Well, Davis. they've thought this through. Believe me. Now, okay. what's the incentive for someone to spend their own money to to do this when they were perfectly content before you showed up? Yeah. So you know, some people are excited about it. Some people are not. Um, but what it is is a partnership with business owners. So let's say, for example, you have a business and you just haven't been able to carve out you know, enough funding to paint yeah. it, get it, you know, lit up and things like that. Um, you know, the city is here to, to partner with that. And the strategy behind this is so that businesses get that traffic. You know, we want yeah. consumers to walk through your door. We want consumers to go inside your store, enjoy what you have, shop at your store here in McAllen. And many, many, many times, you know, consumers don't want to stop at your store, maybe because it's not well lit or it yeah. doesn't look really inviting. And so that is the strategy behind Refresh 5050. Okay. Our, our guest is Rebecca Olaguabel. She is the Retail and Business Development Director for the City of McAllen. She's our guest on your 956 Drive Home. We're talking about a neat program that I, I love the idea, by the way, of if you're a business or a property owner of a commercial property in some parts of McAllen, and I think we need to get to that part too, what specific areas this okay. is in. But you, if, if you put down the money, McAllen will um, meet you the rest of the way up to a certain limit, obviously. But uh, where, where in particular is, are these people eligible? Sure. So, um, you know, when we launched in 2019, we wanted to make sure that we were assisting with, you know, some of our very, very busy uh, retail corridors. So if you are located on 10th Street from Houston to Nolana, Business 83 from McCall to 29th, mm -hmm. 23rd Street from Ivella to Pecan, and Ware Road from uh, Ivella to Pecan, you are in our refresh zone. We also added, in 2021, we added Pecan from Ware to McCall and Main Street from Galveston to Pecan. And in addition to those, um, to those zones, we were also able to add the downtown um, zone as uh, eligible for the Refresh 5050 grant. Oh, Ooh. yeah, there's some, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good, it's a, by the way, I'm all for it. I mean, I think it's a great idea and uh, some refreshing for some of these stores would be. I, I know if I'm, a if I'm a business owner and I have a storefront and I've kind of been like, well, you know, it could use a, 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 a coat of paint, but why, why, why bother? This is a good incentive to get people out of the hidey holes, so to speak, and to really uh, put, put some money down on investing in their properties. And uh, City of McAllen's going to yeah. help out with the reimbursement of this. It's, it's a really fun project. Um, you know, it's really been a game changer for us here at the City of McAllen. We've really gotten to know our small business owners uh, very intimately. You know, we walk them through this project. Um, we walk them through this grant. You know, we see it from, you know, the very beginning of their project scope until the very end when it's nice and completed. And, um, you know, pictures tell a thousand words. And, I, you know, we see, you know, what it look, what their business looked like before. Then we we help them, you know, with their dream come true. You know, it's really cool. So, what is what is uh, eligible as far as property improvements go? Anything that is external, so landscaping, lighting, um, roof. We've done roofs. We've done new doors. We've done we've done new signs. We've done asphalt. Um, we've done murals. You know, included in new paint. Um, and you know what? What we're hearing back from our refreshers is that it does increase consumer traffic into their building because all of a sudden, you know, there's this new, bright, beautiful uh, building that's always been yeah. there, 
But yeah. now it's nice and bright, and uh, people people like that. You know, customers yeah. like that. Rebecca Olagwabel is our guest on your 956 Drive Home with the City of McAllen. It's a neat program. Go to refresh5050.com. Refresh5050.com for all of the, the details. If you're a business owner and you want to spruce up the front of your, your business, it's a wonderful project. Uh, you can, and this is, at the, this is the way the website says it, refresh your McAllen business or building mm-hmm. storefront today with a matching grant yes. up to $15,000. I love this idea. I really do. That's so it's so cool. So, so who, uh, where, where do we go to, to sign up for it? And how do we apply? Well, sure. And, and you know what? Here at the City of McAllen, we have tried to make the process as streamlined as possible um, because we know that business is money. And so you can send us your application straight from online. You go to refresh5050.com. There is a, um, an application form. We receive that at the city manager's office. And, um, you know, we make sure that you're in compliance with the city. We review your yeah. project scope. And then we look at your um, at your proposals, and then from there, it's all about getting your project done and getting your reimbursement um, back to you. Good. Do you do you remember who was the first? If you can say, you may not be able to be allowed to say who was which was the first business that took advantage of this, or if you, if you had any luck yet. Oh, we've we've had so many um, grants come through since 2019. I want to say that the first one was down on 23rd Street. Um, okay. I'll have I'll have to. I caught your flat footage. Yeah, Detronics on 10th Street was one oh, of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you guys did that. That's what it was yes. Yeah, that was. No, I noticed it. I noticed it. I, I noticed what, it. What, it was are, what are some of the more common changes that uh, business owners are, are looking to? It, it's more advanced than just a coat of paint, right? I mean, there's. There, I, I imagine there's some sort of remodeling, renovation involved. Yeah, you know, um, new paint, new sign. Um, it makes such a difference. New roof, new asphalt for your parking lot. Oh my God! Um, you know, we had a we had a, a refresher that that's all they needed to do was just improve their parking lot so that customers could get into the, you know, get to the business and park in a comfortable, you know, spot. And that just improved uh, foot traffic tremendously. That's really something because those are roofs and and asphalt, I would think are uh, big expenses. They're not, it's not a can of paint. So that's a good thing. Yeah. And that's where the city of McAllen really wants to partner with our businesses. So, um, you know, we've, we've really enjoyed launching this program. Like I said, back in 2019, it's been such a good exercise, um, in getting to know, you know, everything that that small business owner goes through. It's, it's really been, um, educational for us. And again, this isn't up to $1,500. This is up to 15,000. And so it, I, it's not like, oh, well, it's just a drop in the bucket. I'm not going to. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. I really feel like it's worth the time. And speaking, speaking of time, thanks for spending some of your time with us to talk Thank about you. this. Uh, so people, if you want to sign up for this, if you are a small business owner or a property owner of a commercial property within some parts of McAllen, all the details and information plus the sign-up form to apply and uh, just about everything you want to know about this wonderful project from the city of McAllen is refresh5050.com. Refresh5050.com. This is News Talk 710 KURV. I'm going to thank our guest, Rebecca Olaguabel from the city of McAllen, joining us on your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have a multiple In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. And KURV.com.
This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Davis Rankin, would you do me the pleasure and the honor of introducing our esteemed guest for this segment, sir? <laughs> All right. Um, <clears throat> I was going to recite the opening lines to the rhyme I, of the I Asian know who mayor. it is, but you would articulate the reason a little bit better. Well, the, the uh, former mayor and city commissioner and city attorney Mac Allen, uh, Jim Darling, has long been interested in water, water issues, um, which which sounds kind of clunky when you think about it. But he's uh, chairman of the uh, Region M Water Planning Committee, whatever that is. But they uh, there's a proposal to put a uh, to put a reservoir in or to dig a reservoir in the Ed Couch Elsa area. And I'm going to let uh, Jim Darling explain the rest of it. Thanks for thanks for being here to inform us. So, uh, what what is this thing? Well, it's a proposal in, uh, that's been on around for quite a while. In fact, I think in you know 2014 when I first became mayor, I went uh, with the judge on the bond issue for the county, and one of them had the uh, Delta area reservoir, and I think they had some money in the bond issue in 14 to do a study. And then it got in the plan, in the 2016 plan from the regional water, uh, uh, Region M, and then they dropped it. And so now they're trying to pick it up again. But it's basically, you know, all our water that's in the Oasis Rio Grande Basin, everything, say, north of the expressway. Um, flows, sheet flows kind of north. And so northeast. And so it's gathered by cities, and then it goes into the county main, uh, county outfalls, and then it goes in the Rainbow Drain out to the, uh, Laguna yep. Madre, and same thing, kind of a little bit in the south side with the with the Royal Colorado. But this is one talking about the north one. So instead of gathering it all and sending it out to the uh, uh, via the Rainville Drain, they're going to impound it in three reservoir proposals. And one is already two are already out there, kind of unofficial reservoirs, the Delta Reservoir, another one, and they'll dig a third one, and then put a sewage treatment, and then put a water treatment plant on it, and hopefully uh, produce some water that they could sell to the various water suppliers, the cities and the rural water supply corporations. So that's and when you say, plan. when uh, you say Delta, you mean Delta Lake? Of course, runoff from the cities. Excuse me? Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Uh, when you talk about the Delta, talking about Delta Lake, which is, that belongs to an irrigation district, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That, that belongs to an irrigation district, but that's, that's the game plan is to work with all those, and, okay. Uh, go ahead. And there's some water that always flows through Raymond through Raymond Drain. Some of that's the sewer uh, water from this uh, sewer treatment plant after it's treated. Of course, uh, goes through that process too. So there's flowing water in there, either from drainage or um, um, uh, city runoff all the time. And that's Where a proposal. Would it's um, pretty expensive. They're multi-million dollar projects, but yeah. in order to get um, funding from the state, they have to have it as part of the Region M plan as a strategy and mm-hmm. so this is the first strategy for the drainage district they usually don't provide water and um it was a, a, a it'll be a public here he had a public hearing it'll be on the agenda for i think uh, the end of this month and uh after that i mean the end of september and after that then if it's an approved plan they will be eligible for loans or grants from the texas water development board under the swift runs funding uh, we're talking with uh, former McAllen Mayor Jim Darling, talking uh, talking to him in his role as a water planner for the uh, Region M water, whatever it is. I cannot remember it now. Yeah. I could five minutes water ago. Planning. But we run all the, the way state. from Eagle Pass to um, Eagle Pass to Brownsville, pretty well the Rio Grande Basin, if you will. And is, as I understand, the state area. the state wants you guys wants us to get together in a planning and a planning operation, planning board, right. so they don't have 15,000 different applications, but one yeah, that, that everyone's agreed in, to. As a result of the 1998-99 were the droughts of records for the reservoir system, got down to 19%. And mm-hmm. as a result, of, and there's droughts all over the state, as a result of those, uh, they created the SWIFT Fund for money uh, for projects, and then they created the regional water authorities to do the planning and rate the kind of the plans, et cetera. So that's been around since the early 2000. I think it was 2001 when they had it. I've been on the board since yeah. I think 2003. So uh, 
who, who has to be convinced that, that putting the reservoirs in the Ed Cal-Shelsa area, which is a natural, it's, it's right in the middle of the flow from southwest to northeast. Ed Cal-Chelsea always gets flooded when there's a heavy yeah. rain. Um, and, and it would, it would maybe also relieve the uh, Raymondville drain. You know, they're going to spend a lot of money. The, the proposal is a new drain. I don't know what this would do that. But if you can impound a lot of that water in reservoirs, then it makes the Raymondville drain more efficient. And maybe you don't have to spend as much money either on a new additional Raymondville drain or, you know, refurbishing. They're going to do some work on it right now. So there's some attributes there. And then my understanding is they would like to have these reservoirs be uh, recreation areas. So you could go... <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I do whatever, swimming, whatever it is. Who has to be convinced that this, however it's outlined, because I, I thought it was just one reservoir that would be filled up when there's water runoff. Right now, we don't have to worry about that, I don't think. But one day we will. Who has to be convinced this is a good idea to give us money? And then who's going to get that money well, and make it work? Yeah, I mean, the Texas Water Development Board has to do that. And they'll they figure out what are SWIFT funds. I'm sure that it'll take um, bond, a bond issue for the drainage district, so the voters will probably have to, too, I would imagine. They're not going to get 100% money. And they don't really have any source of revenue except bond revenue from that standpoint. So they'll have to figure it out. You know, I, I'm on the uh, Regional Water Authority, and I remember um, I, I was president of it. We did a, a study, I want to say about 10 or 12 years ago, of a regional groundwater a program where we dug a where the proposal was to dig a series of uh, groundwater wells on a mm -hmm. regional basis and have the cities um, participate in that. So we spent about a million dollars on a study, but we couldn't find anybody interested. I think probably that time it was about ten or twelve years ago. It was probably a dry time, and all of a sudden now we had the later we had the reservoirs full. So yeah, it wasn't we didn't get a lot of people interested. Why they That's what happens. That's the and they would not have been interested because, yeah. Um, so now is, I'm not sure where to go next, except how long before you hear back from the Texas Water Development Board one way or the other? Well, they'll have to submit, you know, once they get an, as an approved plan, they'll, they'll submit it. Um, this is about a 30-year project, by the way. It's well, not going to happen. You're kidding tonight. me. Yeah. Yeah, the first reservoirs, and I think they haven't phased in. The first reservoir will be re uh, relatively sooner, the one that is already there, and then the other two, as they have to develop, would be uh, phased in. But I think it's, um, if I'm not mistaken, the last one comes in, and the plan is 2050. But that's okay. The planning takes a long time. It's a good idea. I have hey, no Mayor, idea. You haven't, you haven't heard anything about uh, new reservoir levels, uh, any new numbers coming out, uh, things like that. If if the pumping of the, the, the brakes, the tapping of the brakes with all the water restrictions cumulatively throughout the Rio Grande Valley have been helping? Yeah, you know, it reduces, um, obviously, municipal, municipal flow. But the, the reservoirs, they had some of that rain, what, about a week ago and a week and a half ago now, I guess. And they went up uh, somewhat. And so we're probably going to stay above um, 20%. And 20% is the next phase where the more restrictive um, watering goes into place. And, and, I, and one of the problems we have, we're supposed to just try to coordinate that so all the cities are the same. <laughs> and so level four, which was when it gets down, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, below 20%, then there's restrictions on uh, watering your lawn even more than there are now. Um, at the, at the at level four, I think some districts that can't issue building or um, permits for water meters <laughs> gets pretty drastic. Wow! But uh, we've uh, we've been close, but we never had it. And that was uh, ninety eight would probably ninety nine would have been the closest to that when the reservoirs got them to a nineteen percent. But it's getting coordinated with making sure all the cities are the same. So you know we're, we're right next to each other, so you could literally have somebody on another side of the street. Water in the lawn and guy yeah. on the other side can't. So we're trying to make sure all the cities are um, uniform. The restrictions so far, have they been proactive or reactive? Uh, you know, th that's kind of a reactive one. It's really uh, curtailing. You know, there's two kinds of things. You can seek other additional water, right? Or the other one is restrict the water use. Uh, I think it's more important or probably more drastic for the farmers They've gone, some of them gone to negative allocation. 
So if yeah. they didn't use their water rights that were allocated on the books for them, now they're going to be losing them. And so I think um, that'll be much more obviously uh, impactful than the city's um, going to one uh, water in your lawns every three days or every four days, kind of, which is ma- mainly right now, is what, they, what they're doing. Now, I have a that, would go more from global- a, that would go from a volunteer stage to a penalty stage where if you yeah. use water in the cities uh, more than uh, 10,000, whatever it be, you start paying a premium for that water or an additional price. So that's how they you, phase that in for most cities. But the farmers, they, they actually take away their allocation. Do, uh, yeah, and, you know, I guess a problem is that the average person won't see the farmer who doesn't get water or whose crop burned up or who didn't plant because he couldn't be assured of a steady supply of water to bring a crop exactly. to harvest. Um, like a sugar cane, can, I'm, I'm told, you know, if you grow sugar cane, and sell it to the, you can make a lot of money in a good year. You can, I suppose, also lose some money in a bad year, but you got to have irrigation water. Is this, is this a solvable problems or issue? Is this something that you, you feel like we can do? Well, well manage? Is, I mean, especially in the cities, if you look at the cities, um, cities are about 20% of the water users. So um, always for the city, when the farmers want to run out of water, the city's water is pushed. You know, um, the river's a relatively inefficient delivery system, so you need the farm water, irrigation water, to get your city water. It kind of rides on top, if you will. Yeah. And, and then even more so, once that water hits the delivery system, which is an irrigation system, and say the city's two or three miles up on a canal, you need that, you need that farm water to push your city water to your plant. And so that's, that's how city water is tied to farm water so importantly. It just needs it. So when the reservoir gets down to 19%, they worried about, hey, are we going to, city's got water in the reservoir. Can it get, can it get to the city? So, so that's, that's the first, first issue there. We're tied to them, even though the cities are only 20% of the whole yeah. system, 18 to 20%. But yeah, that I mean, sounds- farmers, it's important. Um, they're, they're, the cities have kind of a solution. There's groundwater here. You wouldn't necessarily use it on a farm because you probably need to treat it. And so uh, cities maybe have a, have ability to do some groundwater work to save water, to, I mean, to, to uh, produce water for the citizens. The farmers, is pretty well the river or nothing. And so I think that's a little different, too. And then, like you say, um, they're the first cities are allocated 100% each month. So they yeah. get one-twelfth of their water each month, so they always have it. There's an operating reserve to protect the cities, and so they own the bottom of the reservoir, if you will. And so the ones that get caught off, cut off, um, are the farmers. Just mm-hmm. to, just to recap, uh, we're speaking with the yeah. former mayor of McAllen, Jim Darling. Uh, the there was a proposal for a reservoir, and again, just a just a quick recap. When when do we hear uh, an update on that? Whether that's going to go ahead or not? That's um, I want to say it's the last week of September, if I'm not mistaken, will be the uh, vote of the water. A regional M plan, whether or not they've accepted it as a strategy for um, for the district to go forward, and then it has to go to the water development board. I think at that point they're going to spend probably more money on engineering, et cetera, and and uh, making getting more detailed yeah. as the water uh, development board will require. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for the heads up. Other things involved in it. There's environmental. You know, when you're building a reservoir. Uh, you're changing the co- you know, drainage course, et cetera. So there's going to be environmental, all kinds of fish and wildlife, all kinds of hoops to uh, jump through before oh, this yeah. gets to fruition. But, you know, it's, it's, um, you, you can't, blame, you can't uh, uh, criticize people for trying to think out of the box, I think. 10-4. All right, that's the former mayor of the great city of McAllen, Jim Darling, joining us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com.
Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's morning news. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day and special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Well, let's now enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's morning news with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Davis Rankin. Yes. Your topic, sir. Take it away. Um, my topic, our topic is cotton. I was trying to think of a clever way to say that. I think I'm wearing cotton in my pants right now. It's. Um, there was a time when we didn't have cotton, at least in the Western world. I think they used only only linen, but now cotton is extremely important. Uh, an article the other day about drought and cotton not doing well as a consequence got me interested. So we call the Farm Bureau. Brian Jones farms in Hidalgo County. He is a state director for the Texas Farm Bureau, was elected to the board. Uh, in December of last year. It says here he grows irrigated irrigated cotton, corn, grain sorghum, and soybeans. I didn't know he grew soybeans. Brian Jones, I didn't know he grew soybeans here. I always thought that was a cold weather crop for some reason. No, yeah. Davis, I appreciate you having me on today. No. Um, we do grow some soybeans down here, and so, yeah. Do they take it's a lot? seed crop, and so. Oh. Well, do they take a lot of, um, do they need a lot of water? To make a crop? Yes, unfortunately, they do take a lot of water. So uh, soybean acres is down for sure here in the Rio Grande Valley right now. I'm looking at, uh, I, I googled current cotton price. The price shown in U.S. dollars per pound uh, as of today is $1.21 a pound for cotton. Is that a good price or not a good price? It is a good price. Uh, you know, the December market uh, closed today at a dollar seventeen, so that's the one we sell off of. Uh, you're you're quoting the October market, and um, but yeah, uh, one seventeen um, would be the the New York price, and so okay. you're looking at probably five to seven cents off of that. So it is a good price, Davis. Uh, we need a good price, though. I mean, our price of diesel has doubled in the last okay. year. Our price of fertilizer has tripled in the last year, and uh, other crop protection. Um, yeah. Inputs that we have have doubled as well, and so we need we need to be getting more money for the cotton that we're growing just to to be able to cover the cost. And you know, yeah, for sure. Brian Jones is uh, a local farmer, and we're talking to him about the price of cotton, uh, in particularly because of the uh, scarce water conditions in in Texas. Zach. Hi, uh, hi, Mr. Jones. This is Zach Cantu. For those in the audience that aren't familiar with the process of growing and farming cotton, what are some of the challenges that you encounter during the season? Well, first of all, uh, one of the biggest ones is, is moisture, whether it's uh, rainfall or whether it's uh, water that we apply through irrigation. Be able to, to have enough moisture to sprout the seed and get it up and growing and uh, then to fight any pests that may attack it. Um, lots of different uh, pests like to feed and attack cotton, and so we have to fight mm -hmm. that as well. And then, then when we get down close to uh, harvest time, like we're here in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, cotton harvest is winding up. And so another thing that we always fight is uh, the rain. Uh, anybody that knows, it's, uh, especially the older cotton, when you grew uh, older T-shirts mm -hmm. and stuff like that, yeah. uh, 10, 12 years ago, you know, you throw them in the water and they shrink. Well, the same thing happens to cotton when it's on the plant uh, and ready to harvest and it gets rained on. So uh, then it shrinks as well. Whether what is in it? Quality and in, yeah. in poundage that we're trying to harvest. What is it like to, to harvest the cotton? I know, well, I don't know how many changes there have been. I've, my family used to pick the cotton back in the day. By hand? By hand, yeah. How, how have things evolved over time? Well, now everything is mechanical. Um, mechanical, you know, we have uh, machines now that uh, harvest six rows at a time, uh, running about four and a half miles an hour through the field, and and uh, spitting out round uh, packed um, bales or 
Really? They're not non-gin bales, but they're they're rolled up huh. uh, tight. Um, Those are big round things you see in the field. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, they're big. Look like big round hay bales. Yeah. They're white and they'll be covered either in yellow or a pink plastic. Yes, sir. Do you do you know uh, Brian Jones? Uh, how many acres in the four counties here? I didn't warn you about this, and I probably should have looked it up. At one time, I don't. We grew a couple hundred thousand I acres. We had about a hundred. I believe we had about a hundred and sixty thousand acres, roughly, planted this year and you know, for twenty twenty two. Is that a good amount, or is that a, the four counties? Yeah, that's a pretty high amount. Um, you know, we had, uh, like I say, the price of cotton is high this year and so there were a lot of people trying to take advantage of it uh, fortunately here in the Rio Grande Valley we had enough moisture over the winter uh, 21 you know and going into the spring we were able to get most of our crops up and growing and then uh, did have uh, we had a two godsend rains one in in April and one in May and a lot of us were able to make uh, our cotton crops with minimal amount of irrigation as well. Well, I'm told that's uh, you, these were godsends because you're Baptist, and um, <laughs> and uh, that's right. That's right. right. Zach, Zach, my co-host, grimaced at, at, <laughs> at that clumsy, clumsy joke. Now, what? Tell us how you're irrigated. Do you have water? And uh, there is dryland cotton in the Rio Grande Valley, and those guys got to be in the Hurt Locker. And then West Texas uh, Panhandle, they're they're hurting too. Yes, uh, I guess we'll go backwards, kind of through your your comments here. Yeah, West Texas, uh, the Lubbock area, is, you know, is known as the cotton patch of the world. Uh, they are in terrible straits. Uh, the state of Texas is looking at probably. You know, over 50% what they call abandonment wow. of their of their cotton acreage, where uh, you know it was yeah. planted but it didn't come up. And so, you know, West Texas for the majority of it is all dry land. They do do some supplemental irrigation up in there, but um, so I think there was like 4.3 million acres of cotton planted in wow. Texas, and looking at probably about 1.8 million being harvested. And wow. Then we go into the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, like I said, we had good moisture starting off. So the dryland guys, um, able, most of them were able to make a good crop with those rains. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am irrigated. I, I split basically my farm in half, planted about half my acres to uh, to dryland and the other half okay. of my cotton acres to, to irrigate it. Uh, we were able to, to buy some outside water, bring it in, and able to have enough irrigation water to carry us through this crop cycle but uh you know that's all that's about all the water there is uh we were able to to buy some water from other districts and stuff and be able to bring in and take care of this this crop year but uh looking at the dam levels and and everything that's going on in falcon and amistad right now that uh, that's probably not a uh a very good possibility for 2023 i know that right now there's some Mm. fall vegetable guys and stuff trying to to buy water and find water and and they're they're not having it whoa that's bad Uh, we're we're talking with um, brian jones who farms uh farms in the Rio Grande valley cotton soybeans uh, has been doing it i think you said this is your 37th crop um, and, and, and Correct, Davis. I still just harvested, finished harvesting my thirty seventh crop. Wow! And we're, we're we're talking about this, listeners, in in the context of water shortages. I'd heard that some farmers down here, their irrigation districts don't have any water for them. So if they were counting on water, I don't know how many that is, or if I'm, I don't want to blow it up. Well, here's here's what I was going to ask, Davy. You know, for the past, especially now after the the freeze, there's been a lot of weather related. Uh, I don't know if it's more so than usual. You would probably have way more experience on this topic than I would. But uh, with with the freeze that just recently happened and the less than ideal amount of water we've had, what is it? What has it been like to be a farmer just in general? <laughs> yeah, it's been an inv- it's been an adventure, Zach. I mean, <laughs> we had we had the uh, we had hurricane, you know, and then turned around and followed that up by a freeze. And then, uh, so now we're we're back uh, we're we're back short of water. Uh, 
basically, you know, uh, our watershed area has not been catching the, the rain yeah. that we need for it to. And uh, so that's what we're we're hoping for this fall and this winter uh, to be able to to get some good rains and get some good inflows into the into the Falcon and Amistad. So are reservoir. so we're in the off season for, as far as uh, cotton growing is concerned. What, what do y'all do during yeah, the off season? Yeah, it's winding down. Cotton harvest is, is winding down right now throughout the valley. Uh, we actually. Uh, need to have everything non-hostable by September oh, one. Really, and cotton is a cotton's a weird weird plant. So we grow it all year, and uh, on August thirty first, it's a plant we're still trying to take care of on September one. September one, it becomes a noxious plant, a noxious weed, according Be- to the state of Texas in the Rio Grande Valley. Because it hosts- because we need a host free yeah. host free growing time for to get rid of the the boll weevil. Do um, oh the boll weevil yeah. They, yeah, that's yeah, the that's bugs get deal. in there, and if they don't plow it under, they don't kill it. If they don't plow it under, then the bugs can proliferate and stick around. They're amazingly uh, durable. Yeah, uh, beasts. They keep tra- they keep well track of those too. There's containers and oh, traps yeah. strung along oh, all yeah. over the place in less than ideal areas <laughs> because that's where they live, and you got to go check them out. Yeah, they they used to uh, the Texas Department of Agriculture used to do aerial surveys. They told me that they occasionally there'd be a field somewhere way off the road you couldn't see it, and that guy, of course, he wouldn't plow his stuff under, and that's where the beasts can proliferate and then come back to get you. Uh, tell us if you know, um, and I didn't warn you about this, the international market, uh, because we I didn't realize we were an exporting um, an exporting country for cotton. I just I thought we I thought we bought cotton. No, we are an export. I mean, most of our uh, stuff is exported. A lot of it is exported raw and then turned around and brought back in. Uh, in yeah. Clothing. In, in, <laughs> in clothes or thread or, or whatever form that, it, that it's yeah. turned into. But, yeah, we just don't have the, uh, the mills anymore in the United States yeah. that we used to. And so it, uh, we export a lot of raw cotton. And then it's either milled somewhere. Uh, Mexico buys a, a huge amount. Uh, China. And then China. China is a big buyer as well. Brian, Brian Jones, we've got to go. Uh, and I bet as a farmer, you have to go too. You have, got to, you have to go do something. Thank you very much, Brian Jones. We greatly appreciate it. He is a cotton farmer, a soybean farmer, sorghum. And on the Texas Farm Bureau board, you're listening to the 956 Drive Home. I'm Davis Franken. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. i got to know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio, just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.